Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Today, we'll be talking about Archero, and we're joined today by Manu Kumar, Florian Ziegler, and Eva Grilova. And I thought we could first just start by having you guys quickly introduce you, yourselves, maybe starting with you, Manu. Um, yeah, so so actually, my full name is Abhimanyu Kumar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like one of the more difficult uh, Indian names to say. So yeah, my friends call me Manu. And, um, and yeah, I've, uh, I've been in the industry for about a little bit more than six years now and, you know, worked in, uh, uh, worked at Disney, Zynga and Play Games before this, primarily as a PM, kind of started out in the industry as a game programmer, but very quickly realized that, okay, there are people who can probably do this way better than me. So, but I had this knack for the, uh, design and the analytics side of things and, and yeah, I guess PM really fit well. And uh, yeah, apart from that, uh, I've been writing for Deconstructor of Fun for a while now. And um, yeah, I've been, Deconstructor of Fun was probably one of the first gaming blogs that uh, I started reading. And uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool to be on the podcast now. And uh, yeah, so thanks. Thanks for having, having me. <laughs> and uh, Eva? Yeah, so Manu kind of stole the whole Disney part from, uh, from introduction <laughs> because I, I am a game designer and I one of my first gigs was for the Disney studio in Prague. So we kind of shared that. Uh, otherwise, I've been working from Berlin since the last five years. I work with Buga and now I'm part of a tiny little uh, startup in Prague called Smirk Game Studios. We will... Uh, we will have a software very soon. So that's my main main focus right now. And plus, I've been writing a little bit for Deconstructor of Fun. This is my second big article. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm curious what, we, what we're going to talk about today about Arturo. Thanks for having me. Great. And Florian? Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Florian, and I've been a game designer for about 12 years now. Um, Started off doing pen and paper RPGs um, and writing and making my own trading card games, that kind of things. So I'm a very classical designer. And I did uh, AAA games uh, for UB working on the Settlers and uh, for Sega working on some Total War titles. And then I moved into mobile, um, working with uh, uh, on Angry Birds with uh, Mishka, um, who is basically the founder of Deconstructor of Fun. Um, so that's how we met originally. And since then, I've been doing mostly mobile, like King, DA, um, and uh, some other some other companies. And now I'm consulting, um, and uh, occasionally also writing uh, for the Constructor Fund. Although this will be my first podcast, so this is going to be <laughs> going to be exciting. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, a bunch of us are definitely consulting, and uh, yeah, it's it's good. <laughs> yeah, Florian, I didn't know you worked on Total War. That's that's awesome. Yeah, so just moving into sort of Archero, so since its launch in April, so it hasn't even been out that long, it kind of burst to the market with over the past three or four months and it's generated about 20 million downloads, over 25 million in net IAP revenue, and that this does not include the ad revenue. And the game does generate a fair amount of traffic and revenue from the U.S., but over half of its revenue is coming from Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. But I wanted to first maybe open up the discussion by starting with what what did Archero do right in order to achieve its current financial performance? And what do you guys think is sort of special about Archero? And how were they able to achieve so much success so far? Okay, so yeah, that's... Yeah, there's like a lot of questions in one question, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'd probably, 
probably just start off with um, you know what actually got us probably excited with the game uh, a little bit. Uh, at least for me, uh, you know, it all started off with kind of everyone in my circle just talking about it because I mean the game also didn't really get a super big featuring or, or anything, um, so I didn't really notice it on store. But but yeah, a lot of people are talking about it. So obviously, uh, I downloaded it, played it, and immediately kind of fell in love with it. After which, the next thing I would usually do is, okay, this game is so much fun. I should probably check out the numbers, and then you know, checked out the numbers uh, on uh, Appani Sensor Tower, and, uh, and yeah, like you said, you know, the the numbers were pretty pretty impressive. Uh, we were almost yeah, we were kind of calling it like probably the breakout hit of 2019, and um, and yeah, that's uh, that's probably the point where uh, I think Eva actually came up with the idea that, you know, she'd really like to write about it. And then when she uh, said that, then I was like, uh, oh, yeah, I, I definitely want to hop onto that train. So, <laughs> so right. yeah. Maybe we could talk about that as well, because uh, both both you and Eva did write a Deconstructor of Fun blog post covering Archero. And was the motivation behind writing that just the the success of the game, or because you guys thought it was fun? And even when when you first mentioned that, what 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 was the initial motivation in your mind? Well, for me, definitely, it was looking more into the system and just seeing how the game works. Because I totally agree with Manuel. Like I started playing the game and I was immediately hooked, and I loved it. And in being a, being a game designer, I get to see a lot of games, and it, this doesn't happen very often. So I was like, "Yay! This is this is awesome! This is so much fun! <laughs> the onboarding is so well done!" And I think it's also like a big part of the success is that they don't really, you know, clutter you, clutter your experience with I don't know, introducing a complex meta or anything. You're just funneled right into, and you're just staying. And I think like compared to games that you see nowadays on App Store, this is already giving you a larger chunk of players to stay in the game longer so for me a big part of the success is just that you you start playing and you know okay this is fun oh okay i died i want to play again and and that really caught me that felt really fresh so i was like okay I'm, i can write about it and i didn't say it in the introduction but i'm really and i'm gonna talk about it a lot probably i'm really like ux oriented and i love good ux and i love talking about what makes good <laughs> ux so you're gonna hear about it a lot and that was for me, okay, like they, they really nailed it. Like this is really simple, awesome, fun, great feedback. Like you know what you're doing, you know how the game plays from the get-go. And that, that was like, okay, I'm going to write about what makes this happen because I think it's good that people also read about it and use that then in, in, in their own games because I think there's never enough good UX. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, even for me, you know, it was... Uh... So, yeah, like I mentioned, you know, I've been consulting for some time now. And uh, once Eva gave the idea to write about it and after having played it and enjoying it so much, you know, my um, the quest for like scientific pursuit of game design receptors kind of kicked into the whole thing. And I was like, OK, this is going to be like a really, really fun analysis to do. And yeah, um, I can totally uh, chime in on that, like the scientific exploration of what makes yeah. uh, good Good game design, good game design. I think exactly. that's always yeah. Thing. So yeah, the game was fun. The analysis was fun. Yeah. So, and just speaking about the blog post itself, I thought one of the kind of unusual parts of the blog post was the kind of specifics about the Habby team and their financial backing. Uh, it seems a little bit unusual to dig that deep with respect to like the, 
help. So yeah. why or how did you know to dig deeper about the team and the impact of the team's previous experience and you know some of their network in terms of the success of Archero? To be honest, like the whole team analysis, um, well, yeah, probably there are like two reasons for it. So one reason was kind of like just stumbling upon some pieces of information through my online reading. Um, and, you know, like we were, we were just like, collecting information and through through this we stumbled upon some interesting facts that hinted to us okay probably a deeper look at the team is uh, good over here yeah. but I guess like a broad second reason is I mean at the end of the day a product is uh, a product it's design decisions it's marketing decisions is really a function of the people behind it and uh, yeah it's like it's something that we generally do just before a deconstruct as kind of like a you know ticket off the ticket off the list kind of a check uh, that you know looking into the team and who these people are because um, at least from the from the happy analysis a lot of the product and the marketing decisions started to make more sense once we started to understand like the people behind it so right. and for the yeah. people in the audience who are not familiar could you just do like a really quick overview in terms of who that team is and kind of how that has contributed to their success yeah, so, uh, yeah, like, uh, just a quick overview, but, um, so, yeah, prop, we basically did a lot of uh, stalking on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, like, the guys at Happy was wondering, okay, who is this? <laughs> These people, like, visiting a profile multiple times. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the team is, I guess, like, registered in Singapore, but uh, a lot of the team members, at least on LinkedIn, place themselves in Beijing. And, uh, and yeah, like, you know, it was also part of, uh, it was part of this intrigue behind the game because, you know, uh, the publisher, Habi, it wasn't a relatively known name, at least for me at, uh, at the point when we started getting deeper into it. And, uh, but yeah, like, uh, it's a, uh, what we found was it's a team of uh, 12 people, yeah, based in Beijing, I guess. And, um, and yeah, the deeper we went into this, uh, into the team analysis, you know, the more interesting it got. And like I said before, you know, the marketing and the product uh, uh, decisions started to make uh, a lot more sense uh, at that point. And so part of, part of what you guys were saying is that, th that the team had, uh, the, the current Habby team had previous roots as part of like coming from the hyper casual space. And so could you talk? A little bit more about that in terms of one of the keys to success you brought up is how Archero actually targeted hyper casual players. And so, could you talk about you know yeah. more about that in terms of you know their specific expertise and how that hyper casual link relates to the success of, of Archero? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that was actually one of the big findings when like going deeper into the team because all that LinkedIn stalking that we did uh, brought up the fact that. Uh, you know, the core founding team uh, kind of moved out of uh, uh, Cheetah Mobile at some point uh, and quite relatively quite close to each other. And uh, and back at Cheetah, uh, you know, they also worked on some of uh, some of Cheetah's very successful uh, hyper casual titles. And yeah, that that was kind of like the first piece of the puzzle because uh, we then start we we. We noticed like these correlations in the core game design that were very, you know, hyper casually feeling. And, uh, but then when we also saw that the team has like 
a real strong um, background in hyper casual uh, we started to understand oh okay so you know these guys know how to do this so that was like kind of the first piece at least on the product side and then on the marketing side it also got pretty interesting because we started to look at okay or yeah probably starting with the question uh, we asked ourselves was okay if the team actually has this huge hyper casual uh, background are they also applying the similar marketing techniques to uh, get their game to a broader audience and uh, <clears throat> two leading indicators that kind of confirmed this for us was uh, the nature of their ua videos uh, and also the uh, the keyword uh, strategy that they applied i'm sure there might be other pieces but uh, given the data tools that we have you know this was <laughs> the, the limits in which we were playing with but yeah. they were pretty strong indicators and maybe talking a little bit more about the ua videos specifically uh, you know uh, there were kind of like two key parts to the whole thing there was definitely like the the visuals of the ua videos which were meaning when you see it you instantly know know, know that it is you know it is hyper casual directed uh, you right. know the kinds of characters they were using they they didn't even some of the videos they didn't even use the actual archero character but they used a pretty popular character from some popular io games you know it was it's just like a guy without a face but like just a rounded body and stuff so yeah so that was one piece of it and then the other piece of it was uh, you know the kind of message that they were trying to bring across with these with these videos and and yeah the gameplay elements that they were trying to bring across and this was also pretty strongly focused on the hyper casual side of it yeah i would i would add actually uh, at least on the marketing side of it and you know there was a lot of discussion around okay is this game really hyper casual or is it something else and also on the marketing side one point that came out is you know is it also are they also going for uh, arpg players because as you get deeper in the in, deeper into the game and into the meta you start to realize it's actually uh, there are a lot of action rpg elements uh, in this in this game and we saw the same in again in the in the ua videos and the keywords where Uh, in the ua videos there were some videos especially some of the recent one in japan that were more arpg esque you know showcasing like item upgrades and stuff like that uh, and also on the keyword side they were using straight up keywords like you know arpg and rogue etc uh, to get those players in and yeah on the hyper casual side they were applying a pretty common strategy of just using like a keyword like voodoo so you know it just pops up with <laughs> <laughs> all the other hyper casual games right. so um so yeah so like yeah all this like kind of put together it's a lot of the pieces started to make sense that okay one this team like has this great background in hyper casual product design which kind of shows in the core gameplay which i guess eva would talk about a little bit more and then the second is in terms of you know uh uh quickly validating the marketability of the game and then actually right. like scaling it really fast once it's live they are also well experienced over here and um, and yeah the data that we saw kind of confirmed this so yeah i, I think you know probably matching to mansion from earlier as is uh we had posted on deconstructor of fun before is has been one of the big case studies of how important user acquisition and sort of marketing can be on the impact of a game but you know one of the things that you mentioned from like coming from hyper casual one of the very important elements uh, of the game would be the core gameplay itself 
And so I thought maybe we could also dig a little bit more into the core gameplay with respect to, you know, what are some of the things that they're doing right? And, and maybe Florian, could you kind of kick off with like what, in your mind, what are some of the key things that they, they kind of nailed in terms of the core gameplay? So what I, what I really like about the gameplay is it, it essentially strips the entire roguelite experience down to a game that is essentially just about movement and placement. Right. Um, so, so very much when I started playing it, I, I was instantly reminded of one of my favorite games, which is Binding of Isaac, um, uh, which I don't know if the, the, you know, the viewers of this podcast know if they're very much in any space. It was one of the most successful uh, in, indie titles uh, a couple of years back. And it's, it's literally exactly the same gameplay, stripped of everything but focusing on movement. Um, so essentially, your character just becomes a platform for this madness that ensues around you, and you just try to maneuver around it. And I think they've done that so expertly to kind of like just, uh, you know how they always say good game design is when you can take nothing more away <laughs> um, yeah. rather than adding things. Um, it's, for me, it's very much this where it's like, hey, what if you took um, you know, some of these successful indie games and just stripped away, stripped away, stripped away? And I think um, being coming from hyper-casual space, I think really has helped them. Um, because ironically, um, a, a while ago, um, when I was still working at a, at a bigger company, I actually pitched uh, something that was very much like that. I was like, hey, what if we just took a rogue, roguelite like Binding of Isaac and just slimmed it down to like a mobile FTP version? And um, I don't think my design would have been that elegant, just purely because I think coming from a hyper-casual space, they think the other way. So a lot of the free-to-play companies, most of the people who work in it tend to be mid-core or even core gamers. So, um, for example, when you work in casual games, you always realize that because a lot of them are not their own audience. Um, and I think when they set about making an RPG and trying to make it mobile, they think of their favorite core RPG game or their favorite mid-core existing RPG game, and they're trying to sort of uh, distill it down to something that they feel is more casual. Whereas I think here they've really gone and, and started off thinking, hey, we want to make a, a hyper-casual game or a very casual arcade game, so like Arcade Plus, uh, for, for something that bridges the gap between the mid-core players who actually want that more involved RPG gameplay um, and those people who have actually never played that kind of game before. And I think that that's what it's targeting is really spot on. And I think it's explicitly because they, they come from the other direction of casual, so to speak. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, Manu or Eva, do you have anything more to add to that? Or is, is that a pretty good sort of characterization of the core gameplay? Yeah, I mean, like you can you can clearly see the inspiration coming from Binding of Isaac and also Slay the Spire, the abilities role uh the choosing one ability out of three like you know it could actually be you know like florian said that you know they approach the game design from the completely opposite direction and i don't know maybe they are like uh maybe they really love arpgs and you know wanted to kind of create this highly accessible uh broadly appealing experience at the end of the day uh, yeah Okay. Well, how about now talking more about the meta design and, and maybe just starting with uh, just sort of the good parts of the meta design. Can you, can you guys talk about what, what do you think are some of the, the, the more interesting or good parts of, of, of the meta? I think like I can start by describing the meta design. I mean, the, it's, it's not so complicated and will also allow us to visualize it a little bit. So there are basically two big chunks of it. Like the one is you're getting XP by going through the dungeons. You level up your avatar. You get some perks or abilities through that. And the other one is the whole item system where you drop items. You can somehow fuse them in, 
increase their stats again and at some point also level them up, uh, keep basically, it's the, the whole system is kind of RPG in the terms of how the stats work and how they re reflect in the core game. So you have damage, you have HP, you have healing powers and all sorts of that. And I think like that is actually really fitting this sort of game. I mean, the game, this is what the game is about. The game is about going through the dungeon and gi giving uh, giving damage and trying to survive having some sort of health points on your character. So I think like the match is clear in the way that the players know immediately what to strive for. Mm -hmm. um, I need to level up this. I need to level up that to be stronger, to, to last longer in the dungeon. Okay, great. And... In, in terms of like the title of the blog post that you guys published, you know, the, the, the title kind of alluded to the fact that you guys felt that Archero actually left money on the table. So I wanted to dig into that in terms of, you know, what are some of the areas that you think Archero could improve upon to make the game an even bigger success than it is now? Yeah, so... <laughs> So that's the other part of the meta, like the other point of view. So like if you spend some time in the game, you will realize that you're not really progressing, right? You're stuck in the progress because the dungeon gets too difficult or too grindy. And then you also have hard times progressing, like actually tangibly progressing, whether with your items or with your avatar levels. And there are some, I don't know into like how much detail we should get here, but basically your effort, the effort that you put into, the energy that you spent, the in-game energy and your time isn't really validated in, in the game's progression, which technically is a grind. We can call it a grind. And what happens with Archero at some point is that you get stuck in a moment when you don't know how to progress, right? So you've been grinding through the dungeon, you're stuck because you just cannot get farther because it's difficult, your stats aren't high enough to help you get through. And at the same time, you basically have no option, right? And that option at some point would be a conversion point. But the way the meta system is designed in, in Archero, that's actually not, not really the option. Uh, I, can, I can explain that a little bit. I think that would be helpful. So basically what happens in Archero is that you've got this set of items, which is the kind of main monetization focus. And the problem is that as soon as you get an item of a certain level, of a certain quality tier, you're immediately out of the need of an item of a similar quality. Like I have a bow on an epic tier. I don't need another item on an epic tier, which is a weapon, because that item will be worse than my item because I've been leveling my item in the meantime. So that makes all my purchases kind of a moot point because why would I try to purchase something better when I know that I can't really get it through the random mechanics and through how the drops are made, etc., etc. So, so for me, this is like the moment when I feel the game could be improved in terms of offering players something of value, uh, something of value to purchase, and something that would again like reflect into the dungeon. And of course, like we all know that content expensive and. There is a certain amount of content in Archero that you're probably very likely designed to get through at a certain pace. So, so I would think that like what would be really helpful for Archero would be create something around how does my session look like? What do I do in the game? What is my goal of this session? Which on the I wouldn't call it exactly end game, but like two three months in the game, 
It's basically, oh, I tried this dungeon, I died, I tried this dungeon, I died. Okay, I achieved nothing over this session. I'm churning, I'm churning, I'm churning. Does this make any sense? Yeah, definitely. If you haven't played the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess for me, like, it's, uh, you know, if I was to, like, uh, summarize the, like, the problems with the meta is it kind of feels like a highly immature meta for me, uh, mainly because... Uh, or yeah, for me, like the core reason is just that everything points to just very, very slow play, player progression, like you were saying. And and yeah, probably that's not like a very good fit for, you know, like this highly power trip driven meta design where, you know, you really want to keep getting more powerful and powerful, but everything just like stands still after a point. And, you know, it's uh, it's not... Yeah, in terms of like, you know, a match of the meta design to a key player motivation that just doesn't exist. And and yeah, in terms of, and like, what are the contributing factors to this? Yeah, pretty much, yeah, pretty much everything like Eva just said. So, but yeah, that's, uh, it kind of, kind of feels like a little bit of a, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word, probably like a slight crime committed to the core game, which is actually so much of fun. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, do you okay. guys think it's more around the balancing, balancing and tuning, or kind of even you were mentioning creating reasons for having you know multiple powerful weapons, for example, whether it's through like some of the tricks that that people use in terms of gotcha roster you know, typed by having different event types and things like that, that you can only use in certain types of events or like, what, what, what's the more important factor for them to focus on, do you think? I think it's definitely a little bit of both. Like there was recently, that's also interesting if it's going to be out by the time the podcast goes out, but there was a recently post on their Facebook page where they said that by the end of August, they would be introducing a set of heroes. Like instead yeah. of one hero, you'll have uh, five heroes. Right. No one knows, obviously, what it means by now, but <laughs> the overwhelming amount of comments under that post was, please fix level 7, because like, <laughs> level 7 is like dungeon consisting only of bosses, and wherever you go on Reddit, on Discord, on, on Facebook, everyone's just going to be like, please, please, please fix yeah. this. So no one cares about the heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can create like a five group, you know, group of five heroes and then kill all the bosses. But, <laughs> um, so just to answer your question, sorry, Florian, there's definitely something that can be done on the balancing side. Yeah. But I think the issue is really that the whole item loop is just missing something because you're dropping very low amount of, of items. You can go and invest and buy gems and open chests and get more items but in the end it's the way the system works right now you'll just be stuck with a lot of items which right. are of no use they are not stronger than the items you already have you cannot use them in any sort of like fusion merging system to upgrade your existing items so like this whole thing kind of feels like not really standing properly in the game yeah i, I think to me it feels a bit like um you know they've sort of been a bit maybe too much victim of their own success because i i felt the meta was very much uh, just for like, you know, a couple of days and then they'll churn. That's how it felt. And so they had this strung it out to a very, very, very long time. It made it very grinding because there's a lot of things like there's no reason why I want a specific item of another item. They technically have differences, but in terms of what they do to my gameplay, the difference is marginal. And repeatedly, I'm missing sort of a higher motivational structure of why I'm doing a certain thing. Sure, I can try to get to the next level, but as soon as it gets grindy, I'm like, 
well, why am I doing this? And why I do, you know, as I said, do I have all those items? You know, I can't even go and change my strategy to maybe give myself a higher chance of winning. So I think giving players the ability to actually um, both have more overarching goals, either with events or, or some other means like, you know, better, uh, better PvP, that kind of thing, or, or better competition, or by actually making different strategies valid through items. So I actually, if I can't hand, hunt vertically for better things, then at least laterally, so I can go like, oh, maybe this different strategy will actually get me forward as opposed to just more power. Got it. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, the point that Florian brought, brought out about, um, you know, kind of, I guess, I guess you were hinting to like kind of tacking on a meta system. It's something that we kind of like noticed even in the data where they had, uh, or where, you know, Achero had this, um, or introduced a meta system just about a month, a little bit more before the actual hard launch, which, but for a meta system like this, you know, one would instantly think is a month really enough for really testing and optimizing and perfecting the experience of it. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, for all the reasons mentioned, it kind of shows uh, uh, the weak spot. So yeah, like you can see, you can see if you've been playing the game for a while that the meta system is designed for the like first two weeks of gameplay because in those two weeks you will be getting better drops and somehow you'll be able to see like a substantial tangible progression in your whatever your equipment on your avatar is and the same thing goes for like the leveling the actual avatar it will happen quite often so you will feel that the game is you know giving you some sort of tangible progression at, at some point this completely turns i right. was i was still experimenting with like I, I converted quite early. I was like, yeah, yeah, the early package is very <laughs> nice. I'm just going to buy it. Manu makes fun out of me because he never played it. I converted because you told me to convert. So I went and bought something, <laughs> but I felt the same after that. <laughs> and and, and then, I, then I bought like one or two more packages. And, it was, and that was by the time we started writing the article and I was playing the game. More, and I was like, oh, wait, this just doesn't work at all. And I was like, I'm just going to buy the next package to see if it will be tangible if i'll feel any sort of progression and it was one of these packages with like five obsidian keys to the you know to the better chest etc etc and it just like i didn't get one single item that would have been anyhow beneficial for me it's like yeah this is this is really bad that kind of answers like your question like where would you look for improvements that would be how do you change the system like the whole meta system in terms of enabling repeating pur repeated purchases, right? The holy grail of, 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 right. of a game days. You know, we are talking about also the fusion system of the game and, you know, how there's like so much room for improvement of that fusion system because, you know, like we are saying, you kind of get this huge inventory of um, items um, uh, that, that are just like kind of lying around. But uh, the way the fusion system is set up, it just does not cater to actually... Um, kind of making all those items a little bit more significant. So that's, uh, so yeah, that's definitely a big opportunity area. And another opportunity area we were talking about was just live ops. Like uh, yeah. what is happening over there? I mean, so, so now they're, uh, I, I, at least the uh, update post said that they're coming out with new heroes, but one, one idea that, uh, you know, could be pretty simple given their, uh, procedural level generation systems that they have could be to kind of just uh, repurpose and resell some of the content that they have in the form of different modes and actually make live ops way more interesting. Uh, that coupled with, you know, the balancing fixes and the uh, fixes to the fusion system design could 
make for a pretty powerful change to this whole the whole like longer term uh, ltv tail but yeah i don't know it's uh, who knows maybe they listen to this podcast read the article and <laughs> maybe yeah, it's it's actually kind of interesting how you guys dug into sort of the the team and the in the sort of team's history coming from hyper casual it makes sense right that meta systems design i mean you know hyper casual games don't have any <laughs> have any real meta right and so right. like the fact that it isn't as developed and that maybe they weren't they weren't initially designing for a longer term more deep more complicated player type kind of makes sense and so now you know for them to start to move in that direction as they you know bring in a wider audience and to see what actually is going to help them make more money is is, is it to just keep it very simple or to start developing depth and to make it make extend the game's lifetime i i, I think this will you know it's going to be really interesting to see where they go and then also another opportunity for other folks out there as they're looking at because there's there's like 50 develop no, no 100 hundreds of developers i'm sure i mean i i know like five to ten myself were like oh we're gonna work we're working on an archero game I'm like oh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a there's plenty coming but it, from the sounds of it it sounds like where you guys see probably the biggest potential opportunity would be in terms of like optimizing the, the, the meta yeah for sure uh, you know we mentioned the article that that's really the next big challenge for the team so you know everything does make sense given the uh, the roots of the team and the roots of the product but but yeah like kind of building out the uh, meta systems of the game to actually support uh, longer term player engagement is the big opportunity area not just for happy but for these 5 10 developers that you know and probably hundreds more after that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's yeah. also kind of interesting that happy uh, before published this uh, this hyper casual game called slidey you know uh-huh. you slide blocks you you make lines and basically the one option that you have in that game is uh, after a certain time or after a certain level you unlock another mode which is slightly more difficult mode which uses the same core mechanics but just upgrades it a little bit with like these freezing blocks and exactly the same thing happened in in, in Archer when they introduced the hero mode which is basically oh this is the exact same dungeon with very similar levels same or slightly modified enemies and that's basically it so i think like there's a lot of room for improvement when it comes to live ops and like they already reduced the content so they can do it like a little bit better and that's what i was kind of getting at with the whole session thing right now because you want to come in you want to achieve something and you want to leave with a good rewarding feeling and that would be really cool because i mean we started writing this article and we talk about this game because we we really like it right it would be cool right. to be able to do more in the game Right. Yeah. And one other thing I thought might be interesting for us to talk about is given its impressive numbers in the east, uh, I think the majority of the game's revenue comes from uh, Japan, South Korea and Taiwan, but it's also doing fairly well in the US. So very few games, you know, w- there's a lot of games from the east that don't translate well here and vice versa, but I wanted to to maybe ask you guys in terms of what do you guys think is contributing to its success both in the east and here and potentially what can they do to make it better in terms of western performance Laurie and you want to take it about a little bit some, some theories so one is that i you know i, I know that you guys were classified a bit as a hyper casual game but i i would like to defer as like arcade plus because it very much it's not uh, you know because of the addition of a like meta that actually translates into like a longer term ambition um you're kind of doing that for a purpose rather than sort of just you know endless to be starting and i 
Um, I think it's the combination of that and the high skill ceiling that makes it uh, likable in the West. So you can just immediately jump in. There's nothing much you have to understand. Um, you know, it's very skill driven. Driven. So even when I reach the, um, you know, like quote unquote Asian grindiness, um, because I have to, seem to have a higher tolerance for that, I, I always think I can kind of wing it for a bit because you know you can actually get quite far if you play the game really well without needing to engage with the sort of like meta slog. Um, and there's like some people posting videos where they're like kind of show like, hey, look, this is this is how far I can go without you know basically investing the same amount of meta than, than you do. So this accessibility plus high skill ceiling kind of, I think, makes it much more palatable to like Western audiences. I can come in, I can just play this. And if I feel like it's grindy, I can tell myself the narrative, oh, I can still get better. Because a lot of the other titles that haven't been successful, I can't tell myself this narrative. I have to get sit down as a player and be like, well, I know exactly I need like 500 more of these whittles uh, and I know how long it takes to get them, so I'm out. Whereas in Archer, where I can go like, hey, I, I could just play a bit better and I will make it anyway. Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, also... Okay, like... Wait, wait, wait. I have, I have an important question oh. for Florian. Okay. How, <laughs> how, far are you, how far are you in the game? I think like six or seven. Oh, you, you're in you're chapter at... seven. <laughs> yeah. The famous one with all the bosses. So if if you play that one and you tell me that you can just get a little bit better and it's all going to be fine, I want to <laughs> see. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that would kind of speak for it though, right? Where you actually put in, put in something because I think the downside is that from a dev perspective, when you have this high skill ceiling where a good player can get far without paying you, um, inevitably you need to throw something at them where you go like, all right, mate, like now it's time that, you know, <laughs> you pay up basically. So um, I sort of, I sort of have a feeling they're doing this even in the, when they generate the levels, like I know this is like super subjective observation, but I have the feeling that if I get lucky and I get lots of good abilities in the first part of the dungeon, it gets substantially more harder, more hard, harder than, um, than if I don't. And that feels like dynamic balancing to me. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's some some amount of dynamic balancing, but like it's not like it's a hard border, right? Like a lot of these sort of more traditional RPG um, games that you find on mobile, they will literally put a hard border there, you know, or or like something that that is so dependent on like a minuscule amount of luck that you know you can't do it. Where you just don't have the right elements, or you don't have the right rarity of character, and all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas you know, yeah, sure, it's going to be nuts hard, but you can still wing it in a lot of cases a lot further than you could do in most of the other ones uh you know just like coming back to this uh how is it appealing to both eastern and western audiences uh you know anil from the deconstructor fund group i think put it quite succinctly and he said archero is kind of this diet coke version of diablo and i felt <laughs> like that really captures it quite well and, um, and yeah you know like for the reasons that florian mentioned definitely does appeal to the western audiences uh, also, um, but also it's ARPGS elements. The legend is these games are quite uh, uh, famous in uh, in the East. But yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the improvement areas, you'd say like the game actually is is still very fertile for uh, real fundamental product improvements uh, and specifically to the meta. But and these product improvements are actually going to have big impacts in both markets. So really feels like uh, more of a first priority than rather like focusing on a certain market. 
Okay. And so I just have a final question for, for you, which is what are some of the, given the success of Archera and what we've kind of learned from what they've done. And, and I think we all agree that the, the team there has done an excellent job. And this is, you know, really, as, as you put it um, on you, kind of the breakout game of, of, of this year, what are some of the key lessons we can take away from Archero that as free to play game designers or product managers, we can integrate into other games? I'm going to kind of jump to what I said in the beginning. And I would say like UX is really crucial, right? Like yep. focus on your core loop and focus on like the first time user experience. I think that's already a huge chunk of the success of any game. And it's kind of bound together. Like if you overcomplicate your core game, then your onboarding is going to look clumsy and it's going to be complicated and it's not going to be immediately understood. So like I really like that they bring to the table this whole idea of hey, core game is like this fun thing that you want to do over and over again and you want to stick with it and then you can figure out what you sort of put around it, right? And I feel like that gets a little bit forgotten these days that the meta becomes way more, uh, way higher focus in, in lots of studios and lots of games. And I'm just like, this feels a little bit like coming back to, to the basics, coming back to the core, coming back to, hey, you know, if, if I can design a game that you'll be, willing to play all evening like hey can i get more can i get more which is a very arcade feeling in a way then then we'll get more better games and that's a good thing yeah. right at least for me like it was i kind of like uh, came up with like three possible things that we could learn and yeah a big thank you to the guys that happy to probably like teach us these things and kind of remind us of uh, these things but the first one is uh, you know just uh, like you were saying, the power of just a great core loop. And, you know, that is essentially the foundation of any game. And once you have that strong foundation, you can you can build, uh, you can build big on top of that, I guess. Um, the second one is uh, just around this point of simplicity, you know, and again, just the sheer... Uh, the sheer uh, power and appeal of uh, just uh, very simple systems and how far that can go for uh, from an appeal perspective, given this Eastern and uh, Western uh, market appeal point that we talked about, and also just from a um, broad marketability experience. So, uh, uh, so yeah, so that would be the second. And I guess like the third point is, um, no, we kind of alluded uh, at the end of the article to this uh, trend that might kick off where um, it's more of a design trend where we're, where we were talking about, you know, uh, people finding uh, pe people like putting hybrid monetization models and, you know, light, simple meta systems on top of very, very fun uh, core, uh, core gameplay systems. And, um, and yeah, you know, we don't see too much of that today, but yeah, that's really what I feel a game is all about at the end of the day. You know, it's super fun. And yeah, you can, can probably pay a little bit to get uh, get to where you want a little bit faster or if you're enjoying it. And and yeah, once you're really deep, uh, the meta is also interesting. So those would be my... I would, I would maybe add one more thing that kind of didn't get mentioned throughout the whole podcast. And it's kind of Archer-specific, but it also isn't. It's like this whole... The whole idea of the feedback that the game is giving you is so top polished in Archero and it's just like the player is hardly ever lost even when there's 15 enemies on the screen and they all have different attacks and you have different attacks. Uh, you're never really feeling lost. Like the game constantly informs you 
of what's happening and at the same time it constantly informs you of what's happening to you like you go through the dungeon and most of the abilities i can think of one from the top of my head which would not have it reflect visually in the game you know like you get this uh, the bubble the, the invincibility star or you upgrade multiply your arrows like all these things like Climbing this ladder of power over and over again in the dungeon, I think it, that's that's a very big part of the hook that kind of got omitted from what we've talked about so far. And I feel like that should be mentioned because it's not just the core loop. It's not just the core mechanic where you go and shoot and it's nice to control and easy to control and there's skill involved. But there's also this whole like the game is really communicating to you that you're doing better and better and better and then you die and you want to do it again and roll for better ability so there's definitely something that can be applied to broader broader scheme of games than just games which would be exactly like archero so and that's the part that i really really enjoy the this sort of experience yeah i mean i i, I fully agree with Ifa, by the way that um it i think it also transcends ux um in the sense that i think what it does really well is that um it's sort of a bit like candy crush but with battling where like a very small input triggers a massive cascade of sort of like, you know, endorphin inducing things that happen and you always feel powerful and you feel like, you know, as you go along, you just increase the amount of visual magnitude you get. And like, I think it's quite, um, quite a nice thing to have that in those games to kind of get a lot of feedback for like very little input, which is quite nice. Um, and for me, the biggest learning is actually that um, I... I think it this might be a bit controversial, but I think that um, you know the the mobile and free to play industry can sometimes be a bit self referential, where uh, people don't really look very much outside uh, you know the games that exist within this segment. So if, if you split it into like classical box to play and and free to play and then sort of indie, um, that you know they go like oh let's make another farming game with this twist or let let's you know I don't know let's do something with match three that hasn't been done before or whatever. Whereas um, I think this, those guys have been clearly looking at the indie segment, and traditionally in the indie segment is where the new, interesting, fun gameplay is, right? Because those people are not beholden by you know budget, con you know like budget considerations and you know compassing policies and and no risk and all that kind of stuff. And I think the big learning for me is, hey, you know, looking into into those other more niche game types and more niche gameplay experiences uh, is is actually really can really move the needle and make you stand out in an increasingly crowded market in mobile free to play. Yeah, for yeah, sure. That's, that's a great point to make. Yeah, thanks yeah. for that. I would I would also probably just add to Florian's point saying, yeah, you know, like the the big giants of uh, games just don't exist in the free to play market, and like Florian said, they definitely also are there in the in the in the in the side of things. And yeah, Abby has definitely also taught us a lesson in kind of just standing on the shoulders of these giants and like then building a really great experience for uh, for another market which is free to play so yeah i think that's a brilliant point from florian all right well uh thank you very much for your time for for the for the people in our audience if you haven't checked out archero definitely check it out fantastic game and make sure you also go to Deconstructor Fun and check out the uh, excellent uh, blog post write-up from Eva and Manu. Thank you very much for your time, guys. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.